Okay, well, welcome everyone to CBCG's Sabbath morning. We call it GoToMeeting 2, fellowship uh, meeting. We get an opportunity to hear from one of God's ministers. And today it's going to be me, Steve Durham. And uh, glad to have all of you here and have an opportunity to talk with you beforehand. So today I want to talk about uh, being on guard. And there are warning signs, and there are dangers. And I want to talk about that. Uh, recently had an, an opportunity, or if you want to call it that, or an encounter with something that I wanted to talk about, but uh, we'll get to that later. So we have dangers in life. They're, they're all about us and all around us. And uh, we are always watching for, out for those. We have danger signs that are out in the society, out in the world. Um, for example, last year, uh, I did a research on this, accidental deaths in the United States. And I thought it was interesting. They called it unintentional injuries. You know, you think, oh, if you were intending to injure yourself, <laughs> but they call it unintentional injuries. There were 200,000 of those in the United States. You'd think there'd be more, but 200,000 reported. Uh, motor vehicle deaths, uh, poisonings, falls, things like that. Accidental deaths, uh, they, uh, you know, those accidents can be, of course, deadly, but they can be avoided as well. You can be on guard and watch and avoid those those uh, those hazards that are out there for us. Uh, warnings to be on guard, again, are all around us. As we look, there's uh, do not enter signs. There's construction zone. You want to be careful around those. Uh, if it's really bad, they say keep out. Uh, high voltage danger of electrical shocks, deep water, uh, strong undertow. And this is a good one. I, I was in Georgia playing golf one time, and there was a sign sitting there that said, beware of alligators. And I kind of got a chuckle on that. And I, I about three, three holes later, I would hit my ball over close to the water, and there was an alligator sitting there right by my ball. So... You definitely want to heed those warnings. You don't want to take them for granted. You want to be careful. They're good for us. They keep us alive and they keep us healthy. Uh, in the Midwest, we're in Tornado Alley. And the winds can get very high. Uh, just the other day, we had a uh, two were killed in Minnesota. The 100 mile an hour winds came through. So winds can be very deadly as well. But what about in the church? We'd say, oh, certainly we don't have danger in, in God's church. And this is sort of a uh, a refuge for us, a, a place away from the trouble. But we're not really aware or worried about danger in the church. It doesn't, I mean, it seems like an oxymoron. But we think God will protect us, which is true. He will. And we're the body of Christ. We're the family of Christ. Everybody's on board with the truth. Everybody's on board with the word of God. Every minister and every teacher teaches the truth. Everybody obeys the word. So what would we have to look out for in the church? What are the dangers for us in the church, for God's people? Some of these dangers can cost our eternal life if we're not careful. So it becomes even more important than the physical. Our eternal life is at stake. So there are many warnings in scriptures. Last night we heard Tom give us a warning. It started out with a scripture that I was going to use. So I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and use that. So you can use it for multiple purposes. <laughs> Christ was telling us in Matthew 24, verse 4. If you want to turn there, Matthew 24, verse 4. Verse 3, he says, And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him alone, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming, and the completion of the age, so at the end time. Jesus answered and said to them, Be on guard, so no one deceives you. He didn't answer them right away, but he gave them this warning. Be on guard. You know, we're told to guard the door of our minds, to be on guard. Be wary, be watching, be careful. Look out for those alligators out there. <laughs> for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and they shall deceive many. 
Peter continues the theme and in Second Peter 2, 1, he says, talking about within the church and in the in the community around us, there will also were also false prophets among the people, as indeed there will be false teachers among you. Now we have teachers, we have ministers, we have teachers, we have one another that we talk and share the truth with. As long as we have the truth, that's a good thing. But occasionally someone comes in with a false doctrine or a false teaching or something that is not biblical, not biblical. Whether they mean to be or not, they become a false teacher. So we have to watch out for that. We have to be wary. We have to be well grounded. And it goes on to say, who will stealthily introduce stealthily introduce destructive heresies, personally denying. When they do that, they deny the Lord who bought them, bought them with a price, with his blood, and bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And that's the end of that action. They don't know that, but that's the end of it. God does not like that. Verse 2, he says, and many people. Now, this is this is where it gets strange and uh, crazy is that many people will follow them as authoritative. They look good. They're up there. They look good. They sound good. They look like they're an authority. They're going to follow them as authoritative. And they're following their destructive ways as well. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. That's a different way. That's not the way, the truth, and the life. That Christ said he was, and that way will be blasphemed. Also through insatiable, insatiable greed, they will, with enticing messages, you'll hear a sermon, you'll hear a, a discussion, you'll hear them talk. It's enticing, and there's a benefit for them in it. It's not outgoing, it's not loving, it's not caring, and you have to listen carefully. Using God's Holy Spirit to discern. We'll get into that. With enticing messages, they are exploiting you for gain. That gain doesn't have to be monetary. It can be personal for, for, for their personal um, status and for their uh, glory, their own personal esteem from other people, the accolades of, of the crowd. For whom the judgment is of old is in force. God's judgment is in force, just like gravity, and their destruction is ever watching. So these are things we need to watch for today in the church. I know it's sad to say that, but it's getting to a place now, as it always has been, but it's ramping up again. I'm seeing it uh, in the last year or so. I've seen several of these things at different churches of God, wherever the churches of God are. So what is a prophet? <clears throat> What is a prophet? It says there are false prophets. Well, what is a prophet? A, a prophet is a person that's regarded as an inspired teacher or a proclaimer of the will of God. Uh, there's a gift that's given as well in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy, now, do we have prophets today like we had in old? No. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, all mysteries, mystery of godliness and the mystery of lawlessness, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, the faith of Christ, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So that gift of prophecy is inspired speaking. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Prophets of old, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, Daniel, the 12 minor prophets, they were inspired. They have had a message given, a specific message to Israel or to a king. And then they did, and then they, you know, some of the minor prophets had one message and that was it. And they taught as well. 
But today, the inspired speaking is given to God's ministers and the teachers uh, first, and also individuals have God's Holy Spirit as well. John tw uh, 14, 26 tells us that it teaches all things. It says, but when the Comforter comes, even the Holy Spirit, which is which the Father will send in my name, this is Christ talking, that one will teach you all things. That's how we understand the truth, through the Holy Spirit. Without it, you can't understand it. That one will teach you all things and shall bring to your remembrance everything that I have told you. Sometimes we say, you know, I, I read it and I can't remember the next day. Keep reading. It will bring to your remembrance when it's needed the things that you read. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit will do. In Mark 13, 11, it gives us what to say. 13, 11. But whatever they, whenever they lead you away and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand or meditate on what you should say. And you can't work that up. You can't say, oh, I'm going to say this, that, and the other when it comes time. But whatever shall be given to you in that hour, that speak. For you are not the ones who are speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit leads us. Gives us the things to say when we need to say them. It brings back to memory those things that we have in there. That's why Bible study is so important. So inspired speaking, those that are doing that, we have, we, we're going to see what we need to do in those cases so that we can be on guard and be aware and not get tripped up. When Christ places us in the church, he gave us teachers to help us grow. And grow in the stature and the measure and the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4.14 says, uh, and he gave some apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. The edifying. For the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body. Until we all come into the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God. Those two things are so very important. The unity of the faith. Knowledge of the Son of God. The correct knowledge. Unto a perfect man. Unto the measure. Of the fullness of Christ. So that we no longer be children. Tossed up, uh, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. It's like the high winds. 100 mile an hour winds are dangerous. Every wind of doctrine is dangerous as well. We need to stand on a firm foundation by the slight of men. And that's how that those doctrines come in, by the slight of men in cunning craftiness. Now, craftiness referring to Satan's mind, the way Satan works, with a view of systemizing the error. In other words, organizing, bringing to yourself, going out and uh, bringing people's affections to you so that you can gather a group, so that you can have an organization, so you can have a, a, a following, and they'll follow you, and, and they'll make you look so good, and, and, and you'll have all the benefits and gain that comes from that. All those things that Satan tempted Christ with, Systemi systemizing of the error, but holding the truth in love, that's what we need to do. In the love of God, hold that truth, hold it steadfast in love. May in all things grow up to him who is the head, even Christ. And don't forget that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. When you have difficulties or you see things happening, Christ, give it to Christ. Trust in Christ. Pray about it to him. Let him fight the battles and let him take care of the problem. He's still the head of the church. Every wind of doctrine brought in by false teachers in the church. Now, just like accidents, just like the things in the world, the physical things, if we pay attention to the dangers around us in the world and in, and in the church, the accidents and deaths can be avoided. It can be avoided. If we, if we don't pay attention to the dangers around us in the church, we can lose our eternal life. It's that serious. 
and we can not make it into the kingdom of God and the family of God. They can take us out of the family. Listening to and following those that bring in false doctrine. From the teachers, from the prophets, if you want to call it that, the inspired speakers. They're inspired by not God, but but Satan. Satan can inspire teachers as well. They look good and say that they are from God, but they stray from the word. The words of life given to us strictly, strictly follow. And we're going to see a, an example of someone who did not strictly follow and lost his life follow what God gave him. So I want to talk to you today about heeding the warning, the warnings that Christ gives us, the warnings apostles give us. Heeding the warning and being on guard against false prophets and false teachers. It's very important at this time in life that we do that. Just don't don't be asleep. Keep your eyes open. Things are uh, heating up. <laughs> so the things one of the things that we can use, one of the tools we use, of course, we find in 2 Timothy 3.16. This is what helps us to discern and to divide. Well, we'll look at that as well. 2 Timothy 3.16. In 15, it says, and that from a child, he's talking to Timothy. You have known the holy writings, which are able to make you wise. And that, that wise is... Uh, derived through the Holy Spirit, through knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, through obedience. They're able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed, all of it, and is profitable for doctrine, conviction, correction, or instruction in righteousness. So that every that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. That's the purpose. God gives us his word for our edification and our growth, to grow in grace and knowledge and in the righteousness of Christ. That's the purpose. Anything off of that is false doctrine. So let's look at an example in First Kings, an example of an individual, a prophet who was given God's word and was told strictly to follow it and see what happened. First Kings 13.1. This is the, the uh, example of the man of God. Now, this, there are several man, uh, places in the Bible that talk about a man of God, but this one had no other name. And that's interesting. He's only called the man of God. Verse 1. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the by the word of God. He was given the word of God. And he came out for a purpose. To Bethel. And let's set the stage here. Um, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. You remember the story. David's son Rehoboam. Uh, basically there was a split. And Jeroboam took the ten tribes of Israel and went north. Rehoboam stayed in Judah and Jerusalem. So. Jeroboam has established a false religion, a counterfeit in the northern tribes. So the man of God came out of Judah by the word of God, Bethel. God is going to give him a warning. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar by the word of the Lord. And he said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David. Josiah by name, and upon you shall offer the priests of the high places who burn incense upon you, and men's bones shall be burned upon you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn apart, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And God didn't like that system, and he was going to warn them about it. Then it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who had cried against the altar in Bethel, he put forth his hand from the altar saying, lay hold on him. And his hand, which he had put forth against him, withered up so that he could not pull it in again to himself. 
The altar also split asunder, just as prophesied, split asunder, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. So he fulfilled, he was fulfilling his purpose. And the king answered and said to the man of God, Seek now the face of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me again. And the man of God prayed to the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him again, and became as the beginning. Now, when you saw that, if you were Jeroboam, wouldn't that change your heart? Wouldn't that change your mind? Wow, maybe I should change. Maybe I should stop this. And the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. That would be enticing, wouldn't it? And the man of God said to the king, if you will give me your half your house, I will not go in with you, nor will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, eat no bread nor drink water nor return again by the same way that you came. Now, these were his marching orders. They were directly from God, the same as we have. We have God's word. We have God's Bible, the words that he wants us to live by. Those are our marching orders, and we're to keep them strictly the way he gives them to us and not deviate to the left or the right, not make excuses or say, yeah, but, you know, today we can do this. It doesn't really mean that. No, it means that. And God means it. So he, he said, for it was commanded to me by the word of the Lord, saying, eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return again the same way that you came. And he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. So far, so good. And a certain old prophet was living in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And the words which he had spoken to the king, they also told to their father. And their father said to them, where is this man? Which way did he go? For his sons had seen what way the man had gone who came to Judah. And his sons, said, he said, saddle me the donkey. And they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak where he was tired. You know, he was three quarters of the way home, almost finished his, his uh, mission. He was tired. He hadn't eaten anything. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. Just like Jeroboam said, come home with me and eat bread. You know, do something different than what God told you. And he said, no. He said, I may not return with you, nor go with you, nor will I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. Here's the reason why. For a word was given to me by the word of the Lord. You shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return again by the way you came. So far, he was doing everything right. And he said to him, I am a prophet. Also, as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into the house so that I may eat bread and drink water. But he lied. OK. But see how enticing that was for him. False prophets and false teachers are liars they're from their father satan john 8 44 says you are you are your of your father the devil and the lust of your father you desire to practice he was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him whenever he speaks a lie which this old prophet did he is speaking from him own, his own self and he is a liar and the father of it now, what should the man of God have done, have done at that point? And what should we do? What can we learn from this? These examples are in here for our edification, for our learning. What should the man of God have done? In 1 John 4, 1, it says, <clears throat> Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits 
whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's what he should have done. And that's what we do when something contradicts what God tells us. And that spirit in us says, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Test the spirit. We have some other examples of that in Acts 17. 17 says, now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with all readiness of mind and examined the scriptures daily. See if these things were so. Speaking of the Bereans, they, no matter who it was, whether it was Paul or anyone for that matter, they tested with readiness of mind and examined the scriptures. They looked into them daily. They were doing Bible study daily. <laughs> See if these things were so. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says for us to prove, test, prove, look into, examine all things, everything that's given. Not something that, you know, once once you come into a church, you start checking things out and everything checks out and checks out and checks out. And pretty soon you stop doing it. And you assume that person that's talking to you is telling you the truth. Well, what if you, those of you were, who were in worldwide, we had many teachers told us the truth. Where are they today? They aren't here anymore. So hold fast to that which is good. Prove it. Check it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And do what God tells us to do, just like the man of God. Christ tells us to be on guard so that no one deceives you. Okay, back to the man of God. Why did he give in? Why do we give in? The old prophet sounded good, didn't he? He looked, probably looked apart, probably was a speaker, looked good. Said he was of God. Why wouldn't you believe him? There are ministers that look good and sound good. In the churches of God, maybe, uh, of course, we see them in the world all, all the time, maybe have a good reputation from the past. But now they might be getting off track for whatever reason. Now, and I'm talking about overall in the churches of God and are teaching others to follow them. So in Second Corinthians, it tells us also a little bit more about false prophets from Satan. And it says, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, his uh, trickery, his cunning, his subtlety. That's what craftiness means. And in Genesis 3.1, it says that the, the, the serpent came in and he was more cunning. He was subtle and shrewd and crafty and sly. He says in verse 3, so your minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Sometimes in, uh, individuals will bring these deep sounding words that are, are an intellectual and they sound so good. And boy, that person must really know what they're talking about. They just sound, sound so intellectual and so knowledgeable. But it's convoluted. And a lot of times it doesn't make sense. You have to, you know, have to dig through it to try to think. There's a simplicity in the truth of God. It's very simple for all of us to understand. And it's straightforward. Or indeed, verse 4, if someone comes preaching another Jesus, we did not preach or receive a different spirit. Now, different spirit can inspire the speaker, which you did not receive, or a different gospel, which you did not accept. You put up with it as if it was something good. And if you do that, if you're sitting in a congregation where you're hearing that, and you put up with it. It says in James 4, 17. Therefore, if anyone knows to do good, once you know that you're being fed seat and lies 
and something that is not true, and you sit there, it says, therefore, if anyone knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. All right, now we're talking about we have a decision to make. Your eternal life is at stake. There's a warning. Second Corinthians goes on to tell us in 11, 13 through 15, such are false apostles, deceitful workers who are transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, looking good. And it's no marvel for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his servants also transform themselves as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. Test the spirits, prove all things, look into it, and see that it is right. Now, I had an email from a, a woman who said, uh, how do I know if this person who was in the church, been in there for a long time, and written many books and many articles and supported and been around for a long time. How do I know that person's right and correct? And someone said, well, if they've been around and they've written and they are are proven, you know, their their works have been proven and they're, then don't worry about it. It's okay. But we can stand on, they can stand on their past. That's not true. And I wrote back and said, don't. No, watch, look out. And I gave them those scriptures. Always, always, always test. Test the spirit. Test constantly, each day. The man of God now was weary. He was tired and he was hungry. It was not, as it says in 1 Corinthians at this point, 1558, he was not steadfast and immovable says, so then, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Um, Galatians 6, 9 might have come into play with him. It says, now we should not lose heart in doing well, because we do not faint. Uh, if we faint not, we will reap in due time. Hang in there. Don't be weary. It says in King James, weary and well-doing. Don't be weary and well-doing. He had gotten three-quarters of the way home. And right, he was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. And this guy got him at this point. And he said, oh, well, yeah, I, I'll just come. He said he's the man of God. I'll go over there. and I'll do what I want to do. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. I'm tired. He did not endure the end. And it says that one will be saved who endures to the end. He believed the lie. Probably because he wanted to. And sometimes we do that. He compromised with the truth of God. We do the same thing at times with false teaching, which is wrong. What is the result when we do this? So verse 19, going back to the man of God. So he went back with him, ate bread in his house and drank water. Then it came to pass. As they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have not obeyed the mouth of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you. you came back and have eaten bread and have drunk water in the place which he said to you. You shall not eat bread nor drink water. Your corpse shall not be buried in the tomb of your fathers. He was going to lose his inheritance. He was going to lose his name because he didn't listen and obey to God. Obey God. Listen and obeyed a man, a false prophet and a false teacher. He lost his name and his inheritance. Psalm 109 verse 2 says, The mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me have spoken against me with a lying tongue. And then in verse 13, it says, let his prosperity cut off. And in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Very, very serious. Eternal life is at stake. We don't think that when we're, when we're confronted with something like this. 
it's no big deal. And it's because God doesn't drop, and drop us dead and hit us with a bolt of lightning. We think, well, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. What can happen to us is similar to what happened to the man of God. In Revelation 3.11, it says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which you have so that no one can take your crown. Now, they're not going to grab it out of your hand. You're going to be turning loose of it, and they're going, God is going to take it back and give it to them if we don't follow what he says. Revelation 2.5 says that he would remove the candlestick out of its place. You have to read down through 2 and 3, the churches of, uh, churches of God, the seven churches. Verse 23, it says, Now it came to pass that after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, at that he saddled his donkey for him and the prophet whom he had brought back. Then he left, and a lion met him by the way and killed him. And his body was thrown on the highway. The donkey stood by it, and the lion also stood by the body as a witness, as a memorial of this man not doing what he was told, and a lesson for us. And he later on, we'll stop reading there, but later on, the, the old man, the old prophet, came and put him in his sepulcher, and he wasn't allowed to be buried where his inheritance was, where his family was, and his name. We don't know his name. Quite a lesson for it. <clears throat> Listening and accepting the teachings of false teachers who teach in the spirit of Antichrist is what it is against God. It's not biblical. It's not true. And it is false. It's false teaching. That's devastating when we listen to it. It's us out of the church, out of the kingdom of God, cost us our spiritual lives, and keeps us from the kingdom of God, as I said. So be on guard. That's the point. Be on guard. So I want to give you a situation that I ran across that kind of stirred this up. Um, and I'm not going to name names or where it was or when it was, but uh, it's interesting how people will sit and listen. Uh, and I actually was in this congregation when I heard some of some other things. And they'll just sit and listen and accept it and accept it, accept it. And it's like the frog in water that the heat's turned up and they don't know they're getting boiled. But they sit and listen. Remember James 4:17. If you know to do good. And you don't do it, it's sin. <clears throat> so hearing these teachers, these false prophets within the church, what do we do? So here's one situation. One prominent leading minister in a very large church of God. He's been around for a long time. Gave a sermon using partial truth with a spin. A lot of truth with some spin. And that's what Satan did. Oh, you know. God didn't say that. He used emotion to get people to feel sorry for him and his past mistakes of teaching, which he said he had taught the truth in error. But he realized he was wrong. And he said, oh, please, please forgive me. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, I'm embarrassed. I've been leading you astray. And then he used an obvious an error that we made in the church as a point. To illustrate this, he used Pentecost. He said, for, for years, I I, uh, I taught Pentecost on Monday. See, it was wrong. And so I taught you these things. They were wrong. And he looked at the other ministers in the room and said, didn't you do that? Didn't you do that? And I went, yeah, yeah. So he's getting everybody. One of the things when you sell is you get everyone to go, yes, 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 yes. They got him on board, preached incorrectly. Um, but today he was going to set it straight. He was going to tell him the truth. He said, it's fairly simple to understand. You're all very intelligent, playing up to them. You can understand this new truth. And if you don't, if you don't understand me, you're not going to make it into the kingdom of God. So they were in danger of not making it and not getting in position to be in the kingdom of God, as he put it. He said, in the past, our zeal. In our zeal, we would read the scriptures. We would read into them things that were not so. And we made them say things that weren't there. 
And in doing so, we place grievous burdens on the people. And I'm going to free you of those burdens today. And he says, none of us are perfect. Again, playing down. I'm not perfect. Only Christ is perfect. So we're all, we all can't keep basically what he's saying. We can keep the law perfectly. Uh, then he mentioned grace and forgiveness, which covers the, the sinner. So, you know, I mean, there, there's so much truth in it. And then to switch, a spin, truth and a spin, truth and a spin. I look at scriptures today differently. I want you to begin to look at scriptures in the same way I do. What do you what do you do? With, you know, what I want you to do is let the scripture speak for itself. OK, that's one. That's one of the 14 rules of Bible study. So you know, put that in and then you know, I'm going to give you an example that he uses on this. If you interpret scripture, you are reading into what is not there. It doesn't say that. Interpreting the word causes confusion and causes areas of resistance. When you are trying to establish doctrine from a hard to understand scripture, let the scripture interpret the scripture. Sounds good. Sounds really good. That's true. Ask who are they talking to? Again, another one of the points. Then he said, sometimes we say these scriptures are written to us. They're not. So he's, he's developing, he's, he's pulling away some of the rules that we use to under, understand and interpret and, and know the truth. Remember, we understand the truth through the Holy Spirit. It's lead and it's guiding us. The Holy Spirit it brings us into all truth, right? He said, do not let anyone force you or force understanding on you that would not have made sense to the people at the time to whom it was written. Then he used Revelation, the seven churches. And he said, there are no errors. There are no, those churches that was written just to those churches in at that time. And then he went on to say, Example, the, the symbols in the in the book of Revelation are as to those people, the beast that rises out of the sea, the mark of the beast, no more sea. What do those things mean to the ones it was written at the time? If you can find that out, then you'll know what it means. Well, then that, that takes Daniel and Revelation out. It makes them un invalid. Daniel was told to seal up the book till the end. The understanding was not for him. It was for us. But he wrote it back then. It was for us today. Let's see how that breaks down. He said Peter was written to a select group. They would have understand what he was saying. It was not written for us today. You see, see where he's going with it? He's taken the apostles out. He's taken the epistles out. He's taken the minor prophet, uh, the uh, writings out, Peter, John, James, <clears throat> written for those people that of that day. He discounts them and the other epistles. If you want to understand what it means today, understand what it meant to the ones that heard it, and then you'll know. Another one was Ephesians 2.20. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He says, well, there were no TVs or Internet then. It didn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. You gotta believe. You gotta understand what it meant to those people. But he never tells us what it meant. So now Satan, it, he opens the door, <laughs> understanding how Satan works. I mean, shuts it on how Satan works. Of course, there were no TVs or internet, but that's a mode in which it's in a, it, it's through the air into our our mind, the moods, the emotions. Uh, what do you see on TV? What do you see on the Internet? All things that Satan uses as a tool. He believes that there is no personal interpretation of Scripture. And then he uses, uh, it goes to Isaiah 28.10. He says the text is used incorrectly. And line upon, precept upon precept, line upon line, here little, there little. We all know that that is one of the ways that we use, we understand what Scripture says. Get it here, there, and a little bit. Using God's Holy Spirit to discern and to understand. Asking for that uh, wisdom and understanding that's given through the Holy Spirit. And we'll read that here in a little bit. The text is used incorrectly. 
it said that Isaiah 28 is used to show how we should study the Bible. Yes. Isaiah 28.10 has nothing to do with how to study the Bible. Those were his words. You study it as if you're part of Ephraim. It was written to Ephraim. It was written to people. We don't have time to go through it. It was written to people of Ephraim that were drunk. What happens to the wine and the, uh, to the priest and the prophets when you're drunk? What happens to you when you're drunk? You give up judgment. So that's what he was saying. Isaiah 28.10 referred to it. He said, precept upon precept referred to the Ten Commandments. First commandment, stacked on the second, stacked on the third, stacked on the fourth, precept on precept on precept on precept. And he stopped there. All those precepts have to be found in the same book. He called it a patchwork doctrine. When you come, when you use a patchwork doctrine, you come up with a false doctrine. So if you use Isaiah 28.10, you're, you're going to end up with a false doctrine. He doesn't mention line upon line, and here a little, there a little, all right within that same scripture. How do you uh, explain here a little, there a little? Over here, over here. He used the part that he wanted to make a point, which was a false, leading that whole group off. Then he used Second Peter uh, 1.20. We also possess the confirmed prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention, of course, as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Verse 20, knowing this, first, that no prophecy of scripture originated as anyone's own private interpretation. And that's what he focused on, because prophecy was not bought at any time by human will, but by holy men of God as they spoke, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, correct. That's how you understand. It is. That is a true, true statement, but used improperly. But what about the Holy Spirit? Amos three seven says that surely the Lord will do nothing unless He reveals His secrets unto His servants, the prophets. He's going to reveal this to us through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, but accordingly as it is written, the, and we know this, this section, the eye has not seen, nor the ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. The spirit searches, here little, there little, all things. Even the deep things of God. And it says in uh, Proverbs uh, 25, 2, it says, It's glory of God to hide a thing. It's the honor of a king to find it. Well, if it's stacked one on one, you know, and it's not here a little, there a little, we don't have to do any searching. Verse 11, For whom among men understand the things of man, except by the spirit of man which is in him? In the same way also, the things of God, no one understands except by the spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is, is of God. So that here's the reason why. So that we might know the things graciously given to us by God. We can know them. We can interpret them and understand them through the Holy Spirit. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom. In words taught by the Holy Spirit, in order to communicate spiritual things by spiritual means. It's not doing that. You know, you can make your own conclusions from it. All I'm doing is seeing and not making a judgment. I'm evaluating the fruits. I'm seeing fruits and I'm seeing and hearing and I'm evaluating. Not making a judgment or a condemnation. I'm just saying, where? Watch out when you hear things like that. Then it goes on to say, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And we ask for spiritual discernment. That's one of the gifts that you can ask for. Ask for more discernment. 
through the Holy Spirit. However, the one who is spiritually discerns, the one who spiritually discerns all things, but he himself is discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who shall instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, right? Who shall instruct him? God is instructing us through his spirit. We're not telling him. Okay, this man is clearly teaching another doctrine. That one first given, but not the one first given by Christ. He's teaching a false doctrine. You know them by their fruits. Matthew 7, 15, 16. Um, we'll go ahead and read part of that. But beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, for within they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. They do not gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistle, do they? And I'm going down here. 20. Therefore, you shall assuredly know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, everyone that looks good, or everyone that says, uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm a minister of God. I'm bringing you the truth. Everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter, not everyone, shall enter into the kingdom of God, but the one who is doing the will of my Father who is in heaven. If the man of God had done his will, we might have known his name. <laughs> he may have kept his inheritance. He may have, you know, he, he wouldn't have ended up being eaten by a lion or killed by a lion. 22, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy through your name? Do we not cast out demons through your name? Do we not perform many works of power through your name? And then I will confess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. What are some of the fruits look for? The fruits of a false prophet. Deception, deception one, bringing the, the false, false and saying it's true, spinning, works of lawlessness, the laws are done away with. It's okay to work on the Sabbath day, for example. You don't water down the Sabbath day. You have to work on or not work on it, but there's an exception. Or maybe it's okay to steal. Uh, well, not all the time, but there's an exception. You can, you know, you can hold back something. Or maybe, or maybe you can tell a little white lie. When is a lie not a lie? A lie is a lie. It can be repented of, but it's still a lie. God's laws are clear. The same way with covenants. God is in covenants. It's very clear. Christ is in the covenant. For example, if you are baptized, you have Christ in you. You meet a woman who is baptized as Christ in her. The two of you, as it says in Matthew 19, 5, says, um, go away, you know, leave your mother and father and come together and be one. Now, if you're one, you're two individuals as one with both of you having Christ. So it's a threefold cord, isn't it? Christ is in that marriage. He is in that marriage. Don't let anyone tell you he's not. He is. Stealthily introducing destructive heresies, personally denying when the, when a lie is told or there is something that oh, you deny the Lord who brought, bought you and bring swift destruction upon themselves. Truth will be blasphemed. They, they become liars, just as Satan was a liar. Insatiable greed. It, how does it benefit them? Through pride? Arrogance, money, esteem, accolades of the crowd, looking good. They will, with enticing messages, exploit you for gain, personal gain. So what do we do? How do we combat that? Don't listen to it. Don't allow it in your midst. Trust God's word. Know God's word. Seek uh, wise counsel, wise means those count, that counsel withhold the Holy Spirit. Seek counselors. In a multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. Stay close to God. Focus on Christ. Stay close to him daily through prayer, study, 
meditation and fasting. It's simple. It's simplicity in Christ. Stir up the spirit and be led by the spirit. Second Timothy 1 6 says, for this reason, I admonish you to stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hand. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, as we heard last night, but of power and of authority as well, and love and a sound mindedness. Therefore, you should not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of his, uh, nor of me, his prisoner, but jointly suffer with me for the sake of the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us. And called us with a holy calling. Don't let anybody take your crown. Don't let anybody do any of that. Don't give it up. Not according to our work, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Jesus Christ before the ages of time. Ask for discernment of the spirit. Psalm 11966. I'll go through these quickly. Each me good judgment and knowledge. For I believe your commandments. 119.27. I have declared my ways, and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me to understand the way of your precepts, and I shall speak of your wonderful works. James 1.5. However, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to everyone freely, and does not reproach the one who asks, and it shall be given to you. And in First Kings 3, where he talked about Solomon in Solomon's prayer, verse 11, And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, and have not asked for riches for yourself, and not asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself, understanding to judge just, justly, Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and understanding heart. Another place it says discerning heart. So that there was none like you before and after you. None shall rise like you. And I also have given you that which you have not asked, both riches and honor. So that there shall not be any among the kings like you in all your days. Therefore, if. You walk in my ways and keep my commandments. Now, let someone else tell you what is wrong or different. And my statutes, your father, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Okay. Satan is, is uh, he's a roaring lion. He's, a, he's the, uh, the dragon who is out to subtly deceive the entire world. He has his ministers that work with him. We have to outwit Satan. We have to, and it says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that we're not outwitted by Satan, but we know his wiles. We know what he does and how he does and how his ministers work. They appear as ministers of light. They look good. They sound good. But test the spirits. Test the words that are coming out. They sound like they, you know, their conclusions of God's word are mis, misguided, and they're backed by clever theological arguments and intellectual-sounding words. They have a deep understanding, different from us, and we can't understand it. But we need to listen to them. On the on the surface, their teachings appear to be words of wisdom, logic, and truth, but they are not rightly dividing the word of truth. They divide it wrongly. Um, I'll skip that. You can look at that in 2 Timothy 2.15. We must get back to the truth. We must know what the truth is. We must internalize it, contain it in those that are in the scriptures, and genuinely practice the truth, staying close to God and being on guard every minute, because our eternal lives are at stake. Just like the man of God started out well. He made it three quarters of the way home, didn't he? But he let down. He gave in a false doctrine and a false prophet. He was weary. He didn't endure to the end. We can learn from that example. Paul tells us, or John tells us in Revelation 3, 5, 
The one who overcomes shall be clothed in white garment, and I will not blot his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and his angels. Let's end up with the scripture. I'll end with this one. 2 Timothy 3, 13. Thinking about the man of God, thinking about what we're faced with today and what we will be faced with more and more, we have to draw close to God. We have to learn the and understand his word and know that we know that we know it. And don't let anybody change it. If you hear something, you have discernment of the spirit and it doesn't sound right, check it out always. Don't be afraid to ask. And don't be afraid to remove yourself from places where the false do doctrine is being taught. It says, but wicked men and imposters shall become worse and worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. Here it is. But for you, continue in the things that you did learn and were assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. You've learned them from Jesus Christ and God the Father. Continue in those things.